Eisenberg on WHMP. This is indeed Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we have a bit of a fish wrap for you. Today's newspaper is tomorrow's fish wrap. First, well, the United States Congress acted in a bipartisan manner and passed a bill that raised the debt ceiling. Actually, it suspended the debt ceiling for a couple of years and avoided default. The House of Representatives did. The House of Representatives, the, the Senate will follow. Biden will sign the bill. Uh, all is well in Washington. Okay, that's not true. But it, they, the Congress, liar, liar, the, pants on fire. The Congress <laughs> will, in fact, the Senate will pass, and the and the House of Representatives did pass the bill, and it was by large majorities of Democrats and Republicans. And of all things, uh, the Speaker of the House is getting credit for having engaged in this process for having gotten for the Republicans a fair amount of what they want, not a lot of <clears throat> what they demanded, but a fair amount of what they want. They have a lot of talking points. They can say that they have cut a trillion dollars of spending over 10 years uh, from the federal budget, and they have, in fact, imposed work rules on people who need uh, SNAP benefits in order to live, in order to, to eat. Uh, so. They've gotten a fair amount of what they want, but the Democrats, I think, protected most of Biden's uh, initiatives and the uh, Build Back Better provisions that he had gotten through Congress with the Deficit Reduction Act. So uh, all in all, I think that there is a lot of criticism to be made of the bill, a fair amount of criticism of the process, but as they say, it could have been worse, and it indeed could have been worse. So, well, those people that voted no are grateful that they got the opportunity to say no for their various reasons. The, the actual count was Republicans, uh, even though they have a 222 to 213 majority in the House, 149 of them voted for this, which means 73 said no. Of the Democrats, 165 said yes. And 48 said no. So that means the 73 Republicans who said no, the, six, the 48 Democrats who said no are able to go back and say, I said no for what they believe is the right reasons. Right, and they were given permission to say no. But uh, that's why the Senate is a little bit scarier, Bill, because uh, there isn't as much room to say no on the Democratic side. I mean, they have a very slim you know, majority if one or two or three, if a Joe Manchin or a, somebody else says no... Mm. What, you think the Republicans are going to uniformly vote against this in the Senate? I think that there's going to be a, a number of Republicans who want to vote against it in the Senate. I think that the Republicans in the Senate who voted to put the United States in default would lose their seat next in the next election. Well, I sure hope you're right. So, anyway, I uh, don't know that for certain. No one has written me a letter this or an email this morning, but I do believe that the Senate is going to pass this and the Democrats do control the Senate. Uh, so I think that will pass. And I think the United States, it looks like a uh, country that is somewhat rudderless that we are coming up to the brink of default and we need to have these late night machinations in the United States Congress in order to avoid default. It's no way for a country that sees itself as the economic ballast of the world to be acting. It's completely irresponsible.
completely to, to discussing whether or not they should pay the debts they've already incurred. It's unconscionable. So let's look at one rec a uh, recent and local story. Uh, Greenfield Community College has inaugurated a new president. Buzz, up in your neck of the woods, tell us about this. I think that uh, Michelle Shute uh, was inaugurated yesterday. She's been serving for almost a year uh, at that capacity, but this is a formal inauguration with dignitaries saying uh, all sorts of wonderful things about her. The college is on the right track. It has the highest graduation rate of any community college in the state. Uh, enrollment is still a major problem for this and every almost community college here and across the nation. But um, you know, I think GCC is on good track, and she is. Uh, there's a lot of people who are quite excited about her presidency, and fingers crossed, uh, GCC can continue to flourish and be the jewel of our community that it has been for so many years. Yeah, it's kind of a love fest, according to the front page, top of the fold story in today's Greenfield Recorder. We need a love fest once in a while, don't we? Well, sure, I'm with that. And she has received accolades for the year that she has been serving in this capacity uh, at her formal inauguration yesterday. One other front page, top of the fold story. How could we avoid this? Beaver attacks man swimming. Dateline Hatfield, front of the page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette. A man swimming in the Connecticut River Sunday evening was attacked by a rabid beaver and was hospitalized for treatment of his injuries, police said. Rabid beavers attacking people here in the Connecticut River Valley. This is an outrage. Actually, it's not an outrage. It is a, a story. It is a story. Okay, so beavers attacking people. Uh, Buzz, I'm sure you have things to say about this. That you... I did some research, and I was shocked. Um, now, admittedly, it was Wikipedia, which seemed to have the numbers. But in the last, as of 2019, in the previous 10 years, there were only 11 incidents of beavers in North America, uh, beaver, beavers attacking human beings, and every one of them... Where, where the human being decided that they, they would uh, report this or acknowledge this or admit this. Well, that's right. There are no unreported uh, incidents <laughs> contained in that report. But what was contained in that report is this strange thing. In Belarus, there are far more incidents of beavers attacking, and one was fatal. A guy tried to grab a beaver and take its picture... Uh, take his picture with the, holding the beaver, and the beaver, when it bit him, hit an artery, and he bled to death. Um, that was the worst story I saw in the Wikipedia. Um, and you decided you need to share that with us this morning when we were talking about beavers. Because, what possessed you? Because the, all of these attacks are terrible because of those incisor teeth that they have, those two front teeth that can chop through wood and certainly chop through uh, bones and arteries. So it, it's... Don't go where beavers are if you want to have a nice, comfortable swim is the moral of the story. And by the way, in fifth grade, they used to call me Buzzy Beaver because Bucky Beaver was on TV. And so uh, there you have it. That's why I know so much, Bill. That's why you know so much about, well, we'll just fill in the blank. Buzzy Beaver Eisenberg, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. We're going to be right back. We'll be talking with Larry Hott, who has some film recommendations for us that you're going to want to hear. Don't make me bite you, Bill. Brush up, brush up, brush up. Here's the new Ipana with the brand new flavor. Knocks out DJ Germ's best. Fresh, clean, and minty. You'll like it. New Ipana toothpaste. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. 
Oh, the places you'll go. This Dr. Seuss book might be the quintessential graduation gift. Broadside has it, plus other books for grads. Like What Now by Ann Patchett, Navigate Your Stars by Jesmyn Ward. Toni Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, Selected Essays, Speeches, and Meditations. Browse Broadside Bookshop for inspiring books for graduates. How about Devotions, The Selected Poems of Mary Oliver. How about Rough Sleepers by Tracy Kidder. Or Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things. Browse Broadside, buy a book for a grad. Every month across the Pioneer Valley, one in three families struggles to buy diapers. That's why the Northampton Radio Group is teaming with the United Way of the Franklin and Hampshire region in support of their annual diaper drive. Stop by the United Way of Franklin and Hampshire region offices in Northampton and Greenfield or at any Leo Auto Group dealership on King Street and donate diapers throughout the month of June. By donating to the diaper drive, you can help keep area children healthy and families secure. This message brought to you by the Leo Auto Group, the United Way of the Franklin and Hampshire region and the Northampton Radio Group. Got chronic joint pain? Not having success with steroids, but trying to avoid surgery? Well, thankfully, there's a better way, and now it's available here from the medical professionals at QC Kinetics. I'm talking about new, advanced regenerative medicine treatments that can restore and repair damaged tissue in your bad joints, providing lasting relief with no drugs, no surgery, and no downtime. This is an all-natural way to use highly concentrated healing properties from your own body to give you lasting relief. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in precision regenerative medicine with over 100 clinics across America and literally thousands of satisfied patients. If you've got joint pain due to arthritis, knee pain, hip pain, shoulder pain, don't just think the old ways of dealing with pain are the only ways. You need to learn more about these new regenerative options that can change your life. Call QC Kinetics now. It's a free consultation with local medical professionals. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. This is Cool Films with Florence-based Emmy Award-winning filmmaker Larry Hott. Larry, thank you so much for being back in the studio with us. You have thoughts on your mind, having just returned from a very exciting trip down the Colorado River, and you want to share your experiences with us, and you're going to tie this into film, and all the world is going to make sense when we're done. So, Larry Hott, Talk to me. I want to share this experience with you because all my friends and family are sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> I boiled 1,000 photographs down to 200 photographs, and they said, please, how about one photograph? <laughs> <laughs> so let me tell you this. I was on the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon for 16 arduous days, wonderful days, fantastic trip. And on that trip... And just recently? Just recently. Just, just got back a couple of weeks ago. I'm still recovering. I don't have any fingerprints from climbing the walls, literally. Uh, it was a wonderful thing to do. But I had planned on doing this trip 38 years ago. And unfortunately, I had to cancel. But I was working on films involving the Colorado River, the questions of preservation versus conservation. I knew a lot about it. I made two uh, films about it in a series called The Wilderness Idea. So here I am on the Colorado River. I'm in what's called a paddle boat. Uh, those are the boats that you actually paddle in as opposed to having a guide rowing for you. 
And the guide starts talking about the big battles over the Colorado River. Just so I can get the picture, how many people were in these paddle boats with you? Uh, there's six people and the guide, so there's seven people. Uh, it's very exciting. You're going through the rapids. You're getting water washing over you every couple of minutes. Uh, it's a little bit dangerous. We, you know, you, they tell you right away. You know, uh, we lose a few people every year. <laughs> it almost hardly. But there probably <laughs> aren't any beavers, and that's the important <laughs> thing. Watch out for those Colorado River beavers. And they start talking about David Brower, uh, who was the. Uh, director of the Sierra Club, and his battle with Floyd Dominey, who was the head of the Bureau of Reclamation, over the Glen Canyon Dam and the Marble Canyon, a proposed dam in the Marble Canyon, uh, the Echo Canyon controversy over uh, putting a dam in the Green River in Dinosaur National Monument. And I said, oh, I met those, both of those people. I interviewed them and put them in a film. And uh, they said, wow, you actually met these icons, these people they talk about on a trip. And I said, yeah, it was a lot, you know, 30-something years ago. Then that night around the campfire, the captain said to me, hey, Larry, would you give a talk about these people? Well, I didn't realize that I had just, just started the trip. Almost everybody on this trip worked for the Forest Service or was a geologist or had some connection with these issues. And they said, we want to see this film. We want to see this film. So actually, I just sent them a link to this film with the interviews that I talked about. So in a minute, we're going to play the clip. But I just want to set this up. I spent years and years and years trying to get the money to make this film. And one of the reasons it took so long is that Lynn Cheney, who Dick Cheney's wife, who was the head of the National Endowment for the Humanities, where I had gotten approval for almost a million dollars in funding, but Lynn Cheney personally vetoed it <laughs> twice, right? Never no explanation, but I thought, this, it is speculation, her husband was Dick Cheney, head of the Wyoming delegation. That's not speculation. That's that, a that, fact. It's true, right? And he, what, what did they do in, in Wyoming? Mining, forestry, you know, it's, in the, it's, it's where the contributions that supported his campaign come from. And I thought maybe it would be an embarrassment to the family if they supported a film or a series about wilderness preservation. So I had to raise my money elsewhere. It took eight years to get this funded. Larry, before we hear the clip, there's been a lot of news coverage recently about how the water from the Colorado is going to be divided up between the western states. Is that right. been, was that part of your conversations while you were on Absol the river? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, when you're in anytime you're in the Southwest, particularly during a drought, when we've had a drought now for quite a while, <laughs> 50 years or more, you know, they, when, the, when, these, when the West was settled, it was an unusual period of wetness. Uh, right, and when the federal government divided up the river, it had way too big an estimate right. for how much water there was, so they're, they're dividing up way more water than there right. is to divide up. That's and, what's and, happening. And, and interestingly, it was not only a battle between Floyd Dominey and David Brower, it was a battle between Barry Goldwater <laughs> And David Brower, and then years later, Goldwater, who was from Arizona, said, looking at all the development that had destroyed so much of, of the Southwest, he said, I made a mistake. It, this was the wrong thing to do. And anytime any, anybody who's got a brain who looks at what's going on, the California, Californication of Arizona knows that it's not sustainable. So I want to just set up this clip. It's part of a film called Wild by Law. And it's about Aldo Leopold, who's sort of the patron saint of the, of the uh, 
ethics of saving wilderness. Bob Marshall, uh, the first person who really proposed the Wilderness Society, first uh, founder of the Wilderness Society, and Howard Zahnheiser, who was a bureaucrat who pushed through the legislation to get the Wilderness Act of 1964 passed. Wild by Law, film made by? By myself and my wife, Diane Gary, edited by Diane Gary, nominated for an Academy Award in 1992. And this is the scene where we interview David Brower and Floyd Dominey. David Brower, who was at the time the head of the Sierra Club, and Floyd Dominey, who was the former director of the Bureau of Reclamation. That's the dam building organization in the United States. Let's hear the clip. Howard Zahnheiser and David Brower recognized that dinosaur would serve as a litmus test for public lands as a whole. The government already had plans to develop resources in six other national parks, including Glacier and the Grand Canyon. The debate boiled down to a choice between wilderness and progress. Hydropower is the only source of energy that is renewable completely. It has no elements of smoke, heat, acid rain, none of the debilitating effects of burning coal or oil or, or, or the atomic. Hydropower is the only clean source of energy. So why wouldn't the public want every possible kilowatt generated from this source of power? I remember as we began that, one of Aldo Leopold's sons, Luna, told me, well, Dave, stick to your bird watching. The Bureau of Reclamation has all the experts. It was good that we didn't stick to our bird watching, that we did know how to call on other experts who were more objective than the Bureau of Reclamation was, which was naturally in favor of its projects. Brower and Zahnheiser challenged the Bureau of Reclamation's geological studies. Not only was the dam unnecessary, it wasn't even feasible. The rock walls were too unstable to support the giant structure. The public immediately responded. Mail to Congress ran 80 to 1 in favor of the Wild River. Howard Zahnheiser personally persuaded 120 congressmen to change their votes. Support for the dinosaur project crumbled. For the first time in history, preservationists had won a national battle against progress. So this battle was extremely important, but there was a compromise. They won the battle to save Dinosaur National Monument in exchange Brower did not oppose the building of the Glen Canyon Dam, which is the dam at the head of the Colorado River before it goes into the uh, Grand Canyon. And this lake behind us called Lake Powell, named after John Wesley Powell, who twice went through the Grand Canyon in the mid of the 19th century. It's, it's a recreation lake, well-loved by a lot of people, referred to as the jewel of the Colorado, but the environmentalists call it the world's biggest septic tank. When I was on the river... Do we have a difference of opinion here? Slight difference of opinion. Jewel, septic tank, I really can't tell the differences. We got on the river, had been warned there was going to be a big release of water, which is a good thing on your river because it covers the rocks, makes the, the rapids less dangerous. But the reason for the big release is that so much silt has been building up 
that it possibly could clog the dam and, and make it impossible to generate electricity, which was one of the reasons the dam was built in the first place. Environmentalists hate dams in general, and you might have noticed around Massachusetts we're taking down as many dams as possible, and there is a movement to bring back the Connecticut River, Connecticut River to its original shape so that we could actually have a salmon run again or a real shad run and save the eels and bring back carp and all the other things that were, were in the river. So this film, Wild by Law, is about the ethics and philosophy behind saving wilderness in, in the modern era, in the 20th century. The first film I will talk about when we come back in a little bit is called The Wilderness Idea, and it's about John Muir and Gifford Pinchot and the battle they have about damming Hetch Hetchy in Yosemite National Park. Can we hear it now instead? You want to hear the clip from that, that film instead? I, I would. Okay. Okay, we're going to set up... Let me let I set up this film. Okay. This was the first film I did in the series. Both of these films were on the American Experience. Um, and on PBS. On PBS. Uh, the first one in 1989, the second one in 1992. Uh, the idea for originally was to do four parts, but I could only get funding for two. And actually, I'm glad because the earlier two films were about the transcendentalists and the beginning of the, uh, of the wilderness concept in America, and they were much harder to illustrate. So actually, in a way, I thank, thanks to Lynn Cheney, I didn't get the money, and we only two films, and I did two better films. Very thank, thoughtful. Thank you, Liz Cheney, for taking away a million dollars. It all worked out fine. <laughs> I just want to say a word about that. I don't know if you heard the narrator in that first film. That's Linda Hunt. You might remember her, famous for two big films that she did. The Year of Living Dangerously. As Billy. And Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> okay, where she played the diminutive kindergarten teacher versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw one. I refused to see the other. <laughs> but this film is narrated by Hume Cronin. Hume Cronin, who was married to Jessica Tandy, uh, who uh, was in several uh, Hitchcock films, including Lifeboat, and also wrote several Hitchcock films. And I got him as narrator because he was a big supporter of the Wilderness Society. They uh, said, do you want to work with Hume Cronin? I said, sure. I called him up and he said, well, how much can you pay me, young man? And I said, um, I really don't have a a budget and he said well i usually get ten thousand dollars for this and he said way over my budget he said in that case i'll have to do it for free <laughs> i say you're, bargain, you man. drive a hard bargain <laughs> so this film is about john muir i've done many films on john muir before he was canceled um because he wrote some things that were not pretty flattering about native americans um but he, john muir was the first champion of american wilderness and preservation and he got into a battle with Gifford Pinchot, who... And, and, and he is known as American environment. He's the, the, yeah. the parent of... He, parent, he founded the Sierra Club, first president of the Sierra Club. And he was very close friends for a while with Gifford Pinchot. They went to the Grand Canyon together. Uh, they, they talked. Uh, they were friend, both friends with Teddy Roosevelt. But they got into this big battle because Gifford Pinchot became the head of the Forest Service and eventually a liberal, progressive Republican governor of Pennsylvania. But before that, he was known as a conservationist. And there's a huge difference between a conservationist and a preservationist, right? Conservation is, says it's for the greatest good, greatest, you know, we produce a bunch, for example, in the Forest Service, we produce timber uh, and renewable resource for the greatest number, but in order to make a profit for the timber companies. And the preservationist says, no, you have to set aside things forever in their natural state. And if we don't do that, it'll all be lost. That was John Muir's position. 
and they got into this big battle over whether San Francisco could dam part of Yosemite National Park. If you've been to Yosemite, you know it's a giant, gorgeous valley, but it has a sister valley just a few miles away, very similar looking, that's now been dammed. It's called Hetch Hetchy, but it battle went on for years and years and years. This battle was so intense that eventually it, it killed John Muir. So we have a, a clip from, uh, this is just the opening of the Wilderness Idea, and the voice you're going to hear at the beginning is Hume Cronin. George Evans, 1904. Whenever the light of civilization falls upon you with a blighting power, go to the wilderness. Dull business routine, the fierce passions of the marketplace, the perils of envious cities become but a memory. The wilderness will take hold of you. It will give you good red blood. It will turn you from a weakling into a strong man. You will soon behold all with a peaceful soul. At the turn of the 20th century, the nation was in the grip of a wilderness craze. The well-to-do escaped the teeming cities by the droves. Americans became nostalgic for a simpler, more primitive life, and into the wilderness bounded such newly created groups as the Audubon Society, the Sierra Club, the Boy Scouts, the Campfire Girls. The real America, people thought, was here, in the wilderness. I think the I think he earned the $10,000 you didn't pay him. <laughs> so the setup, the setup here is really, where did all this come from, this idea that we had to get back to the wilderness? You know, we, we, the camping craze takes over America at this time and has not stopped. And the more uh, destructive we are to the natural world, the more we want to get back to it. The bigger the cities, the more we have to drive. The more we're on the internet, the more we're sitting um, on the computer. And in fact, the best part for me about being in the Grand Canyon was not the grandeur, was not the, the camaraderie with my, my fellow travelers, fellow travelers, that's a weighted word. It was the digital vacation. There's absolutely no signal in the Grand Canyon, right? 16 days not knowing what was going on outside. At one point, one of our guides got sick and had to leave, and they brought in a new guy by helicopter, and he started talking about the news, and we stopped him. We said, we don't want to know. This is the best part of this trip, is that we are just isolated and not in touch with any, no politics, you know, no hearing from the family, <laughs> no nothing. And I came, I came out of that fact. I'll tell you one last thing before we cut. The last two hours of the trip, the morning when you're paddling out to where you, they take you out, but you're still deep in the canyon, they say, well, the moment you get in the boat to the moment you get out of the boat, there'll be complete silence. We will not say a word. It was a magical time. Now I taught the weeping willow how to cry. 
And I showed the clouds how to cover up a clear blue sky And the tears that I cried for that woman are gonna flood you big river And I'm gonna sit right here until I die I met her accidentally You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg for WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Sherra is requesting the City Council increase funding for the police department to hire new officers in anticipation of other officers' retirements. We have to fill that shift with overtime, and that's what we've been doing. So we're averaging 431 hours of overtime per month in the NPD right now, which has a huge financial impact because um, that, of course, is a time and a half. The mayor is also requesting money to hire a new fire rescue officer. Last year saw 8,352 calls, the most the department has ever seen, and this year they are on track to exceed that. The Northampton City Council meets tonight to vote on the mayor's budget at 7 p.m. East Hampton has two new school committee members. Former school committee members Sarah Hunter and Laura Scott were elected to fill the vacancies for the committee until December 31st, after which they'll decide if they want to run for another term. Those seats became vacant following the resignations of Lori Garcia and Shannon Dunham, sparked by controversy over the superintendent's search. Governor Maura Healy announced $250,000 in grant funding yesterday to be used to support local food systems through the Local Food Policy Council program. Just Roots Farm in Greenfield received over $12,000 to conduct an outreach campaign and, and analysis of capacity building strategies with a 12-month plan seeking to increase membership specifically amongst marginalized community members. Mostly sunny and hazy today with a light breeze and warm, a high of 88 to 92. Evening temperatures will be in the 70s under mostly clear skies tonight and an overnight low of 54 to 60. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, scattered showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon, a high of 88 to 92. We don't get out of the 60s over the weekend. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Bajo el fuego de los conservadores, el presidente de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, trabajó arduamente el martes para vender a sus compañeros republicanos el techo de la deuda y el acuerdo presupuestario que negoció con el presidente Joe Biden y obtener la aprobación a tiempo para evitar un incumplimiento potencialmente desastroso de Estados Unidos. Los líderes del House Freedom Caucus de extrema derecha criticaron el compromiso por no cumplir con los recortes de gastos que exigen y prometieron tratar de detener la aprobación por parte del Congreso. Una facción conservadora mucho más grande, el Comité de Estudio Republicano, se negó a tomar una posición, dejando a McCarthy a la casa de votos. El martes por la noche se avecinaba una prueba clave cuando el Comité de Reglas de la Cámara consideraría el proyecto de ley de 99 páginas y votaría para enviarlo al Pleno de la Cámara para una votación prevista para el miércoles por la noche. En otras informaciones, Donald Trump dijo el martes que si vuelve a ser elegido presidente en 2024, buscaría acabar con la ciudadanía automática para los niños nacidos en Estados Unidos de inmigrantes en el país sin autorización. Trump, el favorito para la nominación presidencial republicana en un campo de candidatos cada vez más concurrido, dijo en un video de campaña publicado en Twitter que emitiría una orden ejecutiva instruyendo a las agencias federales a detener lo que se conoce como ciudadanía por derecho de nacimiento. Cualquier acción de este tipo 
tiempo por parte de Trump seguramente generaría un desafío legal. La orden ejecutiva propuesta planificada para el primer día de un segundo mandato de Trump requeriría que al menos uno de los padres sea ciudadano estadounidense o residente permanente legal para que sus hijos se conviertan automáticamente en ciudadanos estadounidenses, dijo su campaña en un comunicado de prensa. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Now I'm a And this is our Have Faith segment with our special segment host, the Reverend Andrea Vazian, who has with her and us today an amazing human being, a very special person who is going to be in Northampton for an amazing event. Andrea Vazian, thank you so much. The pleasure and the honor of this introduction is yours. I am so happy to introduce to all of you, except I think you know him already, the Reverend Fred Small, singer, songwriter, activist, Unitarian Universal Minister, former lawyer, and now author of the wonderful, touching children's book, Everything Possible. The words are by Fred Small. The beautiful, inclusive illustrations are by Alison Brown. And this book, oh, this touches my heart, and I am so happy Fred's here with us and will sing with us and talk to us. This book is the words of the Everything Possible song, which is a lullaby, an anthem, a ballad, a beloved song that became really the anthem of the LGBTQ movement and has touched and changed and affirmed so many lives. The front of the children's book, which I am holding here in the studio, says, includes bonus audio of the beloved song, and beloved song it is. I wish we were on TV so I could lift up this book, which we are all holding, and show you this beautiful, inclusive, lovely, upbeat cover of everything possible. So, Fred. Fred Small, the Reverend Fred Small, singer-songwriter, beloved friend of mine of almost 40 years, is Who, here with us. And we should note, before you go one second further, that he'll be doing a reading, a sing-along, a celebration this Saturday, June 3rd, 11 o'clock, at the Edwards Church, 297 Main Street in Northampton. Everyone is welcome. It's going to be so joyous and so much fun. Again, 11 o'clock at the Edwards Church in Northampton this Saturday. Absolutely. And we are looking forward to welcoming families, uh, people of all ages. Fred will speak, Fred will sign books, and mainly Fred will sing. And I think we've coaxed him into doing not only Everything Possible, but two or three other songs. And he has so many Western Massachusetts fans. It's going to be like a big family reunion. So, Fred, talk to us, sing to us. <laughs> well, I, I'm so excited to be here. I've heard so much about your show. And listen, after those effusive introductions, I, I'm thinking, who is this guy, Fred Small, and how can I hear him? I got to be there at 11 o'clock on, on Saturday at Edwards Church because this guy is amazing. So there's no resemblance to yours truly, but I'm very, uh, I'm very impressed. So, so, Fred, could you do this? Tell us about the song. Tell us the story of the song. 
Sure. Uh, well, I was uh, before I was a Unitarian Universalist minister, I was a folk singer and songwriter on the folk circuit, uh, played the Iron Horse many times uh, and, uh, you know, all over the United States and, and even other parts of the world. Um, and uh, and you became a, you, you became a recovering lawyer and all that at some point. Oh, you had to out me. Sorry. Okay, we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is my first career. And actually, you know, I I I was an environmental lawyer, and I was really enjoying the conversation about uh, Pinchot and Muir and and all that because I I could have jumped uh, jumped right in in that. And those tensions, by the way, are still very much alive in the Forest Service today. But that's another segment which you've completed. Um, so in 1983, 40 years ago, I was um, traveling uh, as a traveling folk singer does, and I was in uh, Seattle, and I visited my friend Janet Peterson. Janet Peterson is an, an amazing cellist and, and vocalist with the uh, feminist uh, band, feminist quartet Motherload, and um, she's a lesbian mom, and, and at that time her son Aaron was nine years old. And Aaron was struggling at school because, you know, he'd come home from school uh, pretty upset because at age nine, when you're a boy, you know, you start to hear pretty strongly the messages of what you have to be and not be in order to be a boy in this culture. Uh, you know, maybe tough, uh, don't show your emotions, maybe even a bit of a bully, um, certainly nothing artsy-fartsy. Um, and uh, it, was, it was hard on him. And so as his mom, Janet, you know, her heart was, was breaking. And she, she asked me, as a songwriter, could, could I write a song that she could sing to him that could let him know that he had many, many, many choices in life? Um, and maybe she asked every itinerant songwriter who came through Seattle, uh, but I was the one who took her up on it. And the next day I was on a, on a bus to my next gig and I had a couple hours and... Uh, I wrote everything possible. And, uh, you know, I, I sang it on the folk circuit, uh, uh, and, but it really took off when the flirtations picked it up. The flirtations, an uh, iconic uh, five-man gay male a cappella group uh, in, the, in the 80s and, and uh, early 90s, um, they started to sing the song, and they really brought it to the LGBTQ community. And, and now it's performed by a lot of um, uh, gay and lesbian choruses and individual performers all over the world. And for me, as, as, you know, as a straight cis guy, uh, that is such an honor as, you know, as a songwriter to write something that is deeply embraced uh, by a community not my own. Um, so I'm, I continue to be really um, humbled uh, by that by that honor. The song is sung by so many LGBTQ uh, rallies and marches and vigils, and it's sung across the country all the time. But it's also sung in houses of worship. Uh, Fred Small's song is everything possible. Really, is an anthem now sung in progressive churches nationwide. And I can say that I served the Haydenville Congregational Church from 2005 to 2017. And every Sunday before the Gay Pride March in Northampton, we had something we used to call Gay Day, which we then changed to call Pride Celebration Day. And we would sing everything possible with gusto and feeling and such joy. And it became so congregants said, we can't just save it for our Pride Celebration Day. We have to sing it throughout the year. And it became the anthem of the church. We sang it frequently with 
tears in people's eyes. It became like the song of the Haydenville Church for 12 years. Fred Small, presented by the Broadside Bookshop, will be at the Edwards Church this Saturday at 11 o'clock for a reading sing-along celebration. It's going to be just a wonderful, joyous occasion. Fred, would you be kind enough to sing for us? I sure will. Um, This is a a new microphone setup uh, that I've just uh, uh, installed on my home computer, and uh, hopefully the balance will work and everything else will work. We have cleared off the table, the leftovers saved. Wash the dishes and put them away. I have told you a story and tucked you in tight at the end of your knockabout day. As the moon sets its sails to carry you to sleep over the midnight sea, I will sing you a song no one sang to me. May it keep you good company. You can be anybody you want to be. And love forever you will. You can travel any country where your heart leads. And know I will. You can gather friends around, you can choose one special one, and the only measure of your words and your deeds will be the love you leave behind when you're done. Some children grow up strong and bold, while some are quiet and kind. Some race on ahead, some take it slow, some go in their own way and time. Some women love women, some men love men, some leave every label behind. You can dream all the day, never reaching the end of everything and be rattled by names, by taunts, by games, but seek out spirits true. If you give your friends the best part of yourself, they will give the same back to you. You can be anybody you want to be. And love whoever you will. You can travel any country where your heart leads. And know I will love this hill. You can be by yourself. You can gather friends around. You can choose one special one. And the only of your words and your deeds will be the love you leave behind when you're done. The love you leave behind when you're done.
Fred Small singing Everything Possible, and Fred Small will be live and in person at the Edwards Church, presented by Broadside Bookshop this Saturday, June 3rd at 11 a.m. We will be singing along, we will be celebrating, we will hear Everything Possible and other songs. So friends, families, fans of Fred Small and newcomers to Fred Small's music, Come on out and join us. I can't wait to be there June 3rd at 11, Edwards Church. I can't quite believe that the guy who wrote this song that I've been listening to for so many years is going to be in Northampton. Bill, everything is possible. Everything is possible. <laughs> and we'll be right back with more with Fred Small. We'll be singing for us and singing, singing at the Edwards Church this Saturday, 11 o'clock, 297 Main Street. All ages, all are welcome. We'll be right back. More with Fred Small right after this. Can be anybody that you want. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5-1400. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are back with the Reverend Andrea Vazian and the Unitarian Universal Minister, Fred Small, who will be live in person at the Edwards Church this Saturday for a sing-along celebration with his book, Everything is Possible. You can be anyone, anybody you want to be. You can love whoever you will. Andrea? You know, the book is so affirming for children and for families 
who are finding their way and finding their path. This is a beautiful book. I am holding it. Even the cover invites you in. It's inclusive. It's upbeat. It's beautiful. We have just heard Fred sing Everything Possible, the anthem, the ballad, the lullaby, loved nationally and sung often. And now this book gives us a tangible uh, uh, we can hold and love this book with these beautiful illustrations by Allison Brown. And the end of the book has this wonderful QR code, and it says, scan the code, hear the story, and the song. So at the end of reading the words, you can scan the code and hear the song. It is such a treasure. I have already bought four copies of this book and given it to families who I know will love it, including my granddaughter, Fiona, who's two. It's just the song is a treasure, and now the book <laughs> is just a gem. I am thrilled about this. And again, Fred will be singing Everything Possible and other songs Saturday, June 3rd at 11 at Edwards Church. We're calling it a sing-along and celebration, and I know it will be. Fred Small, I'd like to know, you told us the story about how you wrote this song on a bus going to a gig at a request from a friend. Did you have any idea whatsoever that this song was going to become a universal uh, anthem? Not at all. Uh, I mean, first of all, it would be presumptuous <laughs> for me to imagine that the LGBTQ community would embrace a song written by a, a you know, a, a straight cis guy. In fact, sadly, but understandably, a lot of people assumed that I was gay. Um, you know, I, I sang this and other gay affirmative material. So sadly, people thought, well, and, and I mean, including a lot of gay people thought Fred has got to be gay because who else would write a song to affirm gay people? And um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I try to be a good ally to, to many communities. And uh, uh, when that, uh, that aspiration is affirmed, um, that it's, it, as I said, it, it's, it's just a tremendous, tremendous honor. Uh, so I, you know, I sang it as a folk singer and, and I wasn't sure if it would be well received at all. You know, there's a fine line between, uh, simple and simplistic. Um, and, uh, I think everything possible, uh, walks that line. Um, but fortunately, uh, uh, it's, you know, it's been well received. Well, Fred Small, why did you decide to do it in a children's book? Sure. Um, by the way, since we are on radio, uh, if people want to see it, uh, you can go to nosycrow.us. Um, and it's actually on their homepage right now. Um, but if it's not, when you go to that uh, URL, uh, just search for my name, Fred Small, or Everything Possible, and you will find it. And it is it is so beautiful. Uh, Alison Brown approached me. She is a uh, an Irish-born um, illustrator uh, living now in England. Uh, she heard the song because she sings in a community chorus. The community chorus did a joint concert with an LGBTQ chorus. She heard the song, fell in love with it, reached out to me and said, have you ever thought about a children's book? In fact, I had, but I didn't know anybody in the business. Um, I had no way, uh, I had no idea of how to go about it. Allison was not only a published and celebrated uh, illustrator, but she had an agent, and the agent uh, shopped it around. And uh, Nosy Crow, uh, God bless him, uh, said yes. Nosy Crow? Did I hear that right? Nose, nosy Crow is the name of the publisher. And I got to tell you, they were not the only publisher interested. And as soon as I heard 
that Nosy Crow was interesting. I said, well, geez, that <laughs> name alone has got to be worth something. Well, with Fred Small, it's a good, it's a good addition. <laughs> it certainly is. And we are again celebrating and lifting up Fred Small and his lullaby, anthem, ballad, beloved song, Everything Possible, Saturday, June 3rd at 11 a.m. at Edwards Church. This is not just a children's event. This is a family event. This is a fans of Fred Small event. This is a come and celebrate. It'll feel like a family reunion. So we are really looking for, I, ca I can't wait. I just cannot Post, wait. Hosted by Broadside Books. And, you know, if you can't make the event on Saturday, you can still buy the book from Broadside anytime. Uh, if if uh, Broadside is not convenient to you, uh, bookshop.org is a wonderful online uh, service for those of us who are avoiding Amazon uh, whenever possible. Um, and uh, I feel like I had another thought. Oh, right. This event, this this event, and I'll sign, uh, inscribe books, whoever wants it. This is my first bookstore event ever in my life. This, this is like the world premiere of um, uh, everything possible as a book at a bookstore event. And so, the excitement be behind square. the scenes, because Fred and I have been in touch about this event since when, Fred? February, we've been talking about the Saturday yes. event. And we have been plotting and planning and getting totally excited. So he really is very excited, and we will be there with great joy. The reading, the sing-along, the celebration this Saturday, June 3rd, 11 o'clock, Edwards Church, 297 Main Street in Northampton. Everyone is welcome. It's going to be joyous. It's going to be fun. It's going to be an amazing experience. Please join us there. Fred Small, it's such a pleasure to be able to have you back in Northampton. Thank you so very oh, much. I'm thrilled. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you, Fred. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Linda Kenyon in Washington. There could be more legal troubles ahead for former President Trump. CBS's Jared Hill has this story. Sources tell CBS News special counsel investigators have an audio tape from a 2021 meeting where former President Donald Trump acknowledges he held on to a classified Pentagon document after he left the White House. This was first reported by CNN. On the tape, sources tell us Trump acknowledges there are national security restrictions on the memo, which detailed potential plans to attack Iran. 
The House passed the debt ceiling bill last night. CBS's Scott McFarland takes a look at what's in it. The agreement raises the debt ceiling until January 2025. It caps some federal spending, it claws back money from the IRS, it tightens eligibility for food stamp programs, and loosens some environmental rules. This bill is at least a step in the right direction. The bill passed even with a revolt from hardline conservatives who said it didn't cut enough spending. My beef is that you cut a deal that shouldn't have been cut. And some progressive Democrats argued it cuts money from the most needed. The next step for the jet ceiling bill is the Senate. Ahead of a NATO summit in Lithuania, foreign ministers today in Norway discuss what is ahead for Ukraine, among other issues. CBS's Cami McCormick reports. While NATO membership for Ukraine will be discussed, NATO also wants to prepare the country militarily for the future. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. We're also focused on helping Ukraine build up its medium to long term deterrent and defense capacity so that if and when the current aggression settles, Ukraine has the full capacity to deter and, if necessary, defend against future aggression. In the meantime, while some are calling for concrete steps to bring Ukraine closer to membership, the U.S. and Germany are among those wary of any move that might take the alliance closer to war with Russia. A storm system is forming, and Jim Cantor at the Weather Channel is monitoring. June 1st, this first day of hurricane season, we are watching here in the northeastern Gulf of Mexico. The Hurricane Center has named it Invest 91L. It is forecast to move toward the south-southeast this weekend. And what is going to be its Achilles heel? Strong wind shear. Former President Trump is on the campaign trail in Iowa facing a new challenge from his top GOP rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He met with voters yesterday in Iowa as more Republicans are getting into the race. The former president wakes up here in rainy Iowa this morning ahead of meetings with conservative activists and ministers who can help rally the state's socially conservative Republican voting bloc into his corner. That's CBS's Ed O'Keefe. And this is CBS News. Hiring is a lot easier with Indeed. Their powerful platform makes it easy to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in the same place. Visit Indeed.com credit. Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article or sensitive personal information about your family? Search engines don't always get it right. For right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in. One of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top, helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free reputation report card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Sherra is requesting the City Council increase funding for the police department to hire new officers in anticipation of other officers' retirements. We have to fill that shift with overtime, and that's what we've been doing. So we're averaging 431 hours of overtime per month in the NPD right now, which has a huge financial impact um, because that, of course, is a time and a half. The mayor is also requesting money to hire a new fire rescue officer. Last year saw 8,352 calls, the most the department has ever seen, and this year they are on track to exceed that. 
The Northampton City Council meets tonight to vote on the mayor's budget at 7 p.m. East Hampton has two new school committee members. Former school committee members Sarah Hunter and Laura Scott were elected to fill the vacancies for the committee until December 31st, after which they'll decide if they want to run for another term. Those seats became vacant following the resignations of Lori Garcia and Shannon Dunham, sparked by controversy over the superintendent's search. Governor Maura Healy announced $250,000 in grant funding yesterday to be used to support local food systems through the Local Food Policy Council program. Just Roots Farm in Greenfield received over $12,000 to conduct an outreach campaign and, and analysis of capacity building strategies with a 12-month plan seeking to increase membership, specifically amongst marginalized community members. Mostly sunny and hazy today with a light breeze and warm, a high of 88 to 92. Evening temperatures will be in the 70s under mostly clear skies tonight and an overnight low of 54 to 60. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, scattered showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon, a high of 88 to 92. We don't get out of the 60s over the weekend. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, it's such an exciting time to be in the Hilltowns. We're at about 1,500 feet. There's so much bird activity. We saw, we have this tattinger that has come around twice in the last week. We have orioles that are nesting up in a birch tree right behind our house. And we have bluebird activity that's crazy and we, every morning, have our coffee, watch out the window, and say, I wonder what the heck they're doing, <laughs> trying to understand these behaviors that we watch. But, fortunately, we have Brian Adams, and fortunately, he's well-connected with the naturalist community, so you can answer all my questions. Is that true? I can't answer any of your questions, but, <laughs> but fortunately, I do have someone who will answer those questions. And we're going to welcome Josh Rose to the studio. Josh is vice president of the Hampshire Bird Club. I told Buzz uh, two days ago I was going to have the vice president on. And Buzz like, what? <laughs> and I said, well, it's a... Uh, but still, very exciting. Josh is the vice president of the Hampshire Bird Club. Vice, uh, he is the Northeast chapter head of the Dragonfly Society of the Americas, who knew there was such a thing. But we're going to focus mainly on birds today. And Buzz, as you were saying, it's June, the temperature's up there, the bees are buzzing, the birds are flying. And let's talk about bird song. Let's get right to it. I want to start with something, very basic question. Why do birds sing? Now, I used to think it was just for my enjoyment, <laughs> egocentric as I am, but that's actually not the case. Why, why do birds sing? So it's communication for them and... Uh the, there's a wide variety of different kinds of noises that birds make. And the things that we call songs are generally the most obvious ones, the loudest and most uh, intricate and complex. And those tend to form two, per, or uh, tend to function two ways. Number one, attracting mates. And this is the main one. It's a male, songs are not 100% by males, but uh, the majority are sung by males, uh, trying to attract females to mate with. Um, the secondary function is for territorial delineation and defense, that uh, the birds in one territory, um, and this is where the females tend to sing a fair amount, kind of declaring where their territory is um, to discourage other birds from moving in uh, and you know, competing within that territory with the, 
the birds who have claimed it. Um, so, and then the, other than the song, there's a bunch of other calls that function for lower levels of communication for young begging for food from parents or predator alerts to warn each other when they see something dangerous, stuff like that. So the males are calling to call in the females. Females don't call to call in the males? Uh, not typically, no. The, the males will be the ones, they'll, they'll migrate earlier in many, many of the migratory species. They'll stake their claim to a territory and start singing to define that territory you know, relative to all the other males in the area, then the females will come and the females get to shop around and choose which of the males they think is the most appealing. Often it's the one with the highest quality habitat, um, but often that corresponds with how brightly colored the male is and corresponds with the song, how like different, uh, how complex it is and how you know, challenging it is for the male to sing it. Um, that, is, that is so consistent with my high school experience. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, and um, the, the, the choosing has been done, is that right? So mating has happened, nesting has happened. Are, are we right in the midst of all that stuff? We're, we're in the midst of it now, and it varies greatly by species. The species that don't migrate or migrate shorter distances, they started much earlier, and uh, so they've already got... I mean, I've seen like American robins where the young birds have already left the nest and are following the parents around wow. learning how to forage. Um, but other birds are still migrating into the area and just arriving or are migrating past our area on their way to somewhere further north. And so those birds haven't even gotten to their territory yet, much less. Bill, you got a question? I do. Do birds teach their offspring behaviors? I kind of thought they were thrown out of the nest and were left to make it or not on their own. It's highly variable by the bird species. And some, there's a lot more teaching and learning than others. So um, particularly the longer-lived birds and uh, slower-growing birds like raptors, hawks and owls and such, um, the young birds stay with the parents much longer and do a lot more learning by observation. Uh, the shorter-lived birds and the ones that leave the nest earlier, um, I say maybe like shorebirds and such and ducks, uh, often will do a lot more learning as they go and not depending on the parents so much. There were robins in my backyard. Did they get thrown out of the nest or do they hang out with mom and dad for a while? Um, they're kind of in the middle. They hang out with mom and dad for a little while, not as long as hawks and owls would do, but longer than things like, like sandpipers or uh, you know, t grouse and turkeys and such. Uh, you talk about hanging out with mom and dad. And that's really interesting because one thing I find fascinating about birds is that they're pretty monogamous. Unlike us mammals or mammal species, which are, um, you know, uh, dad, does the, dad does the deed and he is gone and mom raises the young with birds. It's a really a mother and father kind of thing. Is that right? Uh, in general, yes, but not universally. There's a lot of exceptions and there's a lot of cases where a species seems at first glance to be more monogamous, but then you watch closely and you find out that Actually, the male has a preferred mate, but then has some others on the side, and the female might mate with more than one male occasionally, and um, there's a lot of complexity based on the species you're looking at. Josh, Josh Rose, who's the vice president of the Hampshire Bird Club, I just have to ask, how did you get so fascinated with birds? When did that happen? Um, there were, I mean, it originally was inspired when I was like a toddler, because my father had a little garden patch in our backyard in uh, Peabody, Massachusetts. And one of the things he grew there was corn. And this bird called a ring-necked pheasant would show up and raid the corn patch. And uh, that 
Um, I mean, I know things now about pheasants that are less exciting, that they're actually not from here. They're Asian and released, like mostly raised in captivity and released for hunters. But back then, little like three-year-old me pushing a chair over to the window so I could see up high enough to see this amazing, colorful thing in the backyard. And then I was, uh, later on when I was in roughly middle school, um, my school had an extracurricular activities period, and one teacher offered bird watching as the activity, and I was the only one who signed up. And so she and I, she may be listening, Barbara Drummond, if she's out there, um, if she saw my face. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, yeah. Barbara. Thank you, um, all science teachers. Yeah, she showed me around, uh, this is in Essex County, showed me around the good places to go birding, and maybe most importantly connected me with kind of the social network of bird clubs and birding hotlines and uh, meeting people and becoming part of the groups that go birding together. And so. the rest is history. Um, Josh, I was uh, in the Adirondacks this last weekend and, and uh, watching loons, which are so cool. And one thing I love about loons, and it almost makes me want to be a loon, is that not only <laughs> do they fly, but they, they soar underwater and that's where they hunt their prey. Um, so I'd have to put a loon in the, maybe on the top five of my favorite birds or the birds I would want to be list. Do you have a bird you'd want to be or top top birds up there? Um, yeah, I don't have any one, but I definitely have a, a list of like my favorites. My number one favorite of all might be a tropical bird called a motmot that you have to go to southern Mexico or further a to mot see. Motmot? Yes. Wow. Um, so named it, actually the call it makes is kind of a mot mot, sort of it sounds like it's Ooh, saying do mot, that mot. again? Mot mot. Um, so, uh, around here in the local area, uh, American kestrel is one of my favorites, uh, Northern hawk owl, which is... Northern oh, hawk owl? I've never heard owl. of that. It's a far Northern Arctic bird. It's occurred in Massachusetts, but only not very many times, very, very rarely. Um, the only one I've seen in New England, I had to drive up to New Hampshire and it was right, or Vermont, it was right down the road from the Ben and Jerry's plant. Um, so, uh, smart bird. Um, yeah. So Northern Hawk Owl is another one of my favorites is a fascinating creature. Can you do impressions of a lot of songs? Not very many. I have a, I know a guy, John Green, who's one of the more prominent birders in the area and he's great at doing bird song impressions. Um, and when he, we used to do the, the Christmas bird count, we do a compilation of all the birds everybody had seen that day. Um, and, uh, he would kind of call out each species to like get people to to read off the number each party to re read off the number they counted, and as he read off the name, he would add usually the the call. I'm so song. envious. I'm always wondering what I'm listening to. I just I I don't know how to learn that. But can you do a loon, Brian Adams? Um, <laughs> well, let's let's get back to how to. No, I'm not doing a loon for you. <laughs> I did that last time, and someone rated me. I think they gave me an F on my loon, my loon <laughs> call. Um, are there apps that people use for bird calls? Because I know it's yeah. when I'm out there. I mean, I hear hearing maybe 15, 20 species, and I have a very hard time tuning into individual species. How can people hone their skills in identifying by song? Well, there's any number of of like there's a load of apps out there, and they range from some like the. Uh, the Sibley Guide to Birds app, um, which has recordings of the bird songs that you can play and listen to and compare to what you're hearing. But there's more advanced things now that, you know, they kind of take all of, they almost take all the fun out of learning the bird songs, something like Merlin, 
which you, you record the song the bird is singing and Merlin tells you what it thinks the bird is that it's hearing. Like I said, I, I, I think that takes a lot of the fun out of learning bird songs, but it does help with the identification of them. So, Do you travel to other states, other countries to bird? Uh, I didn't, I, yeah, definitely sometimes, uh, not as often now as I did before I got married and had kids. Uh, what I still do, anytime we go on a trip, I start planning, uh, okay, what birds could I see while I'm on this trip? Um, so, uh, and, and uh, so, yeah. And, and you, uh, a lot of birders keep lists. Mm-hmm. They're, they're bird lists, and they compare them, and they, they uh, brag about them. They probably lie about them. Uh, mm-hmm. Where are you on your list? How many birds have you I mean, identified? There's even been a very few cases of birders who, who uh, have actually like released a bird, like, like caught a bird somewhere, brought it to a different location, and released it so they could have it on their li- They could claim it on their list in the other location oh with my. pictures and everything. Oh my um, so yeah, that, not a lot of times, but a couple. Anyway, my own list, I'm a, I'm, I've gotten a little sloppy with my total record keeping because my main list is over 700 species kind of national, like worldwide. Um, here in Massachusetts, I've officially, like using the eBird app, I'm at 301, but there are several other species I saw before eBird existed. Um, when, so. when you're out in the woods or in the meadows, do you know everything that you see and everything that you hear? Um, not everything. I'd say the vast majority, it's like, like 95% or so. Some I just don't see well enough or don't hear clearly enough and could identify if I had a clearer look or sound. And then some are just kind of more challenging. And so, uh, Bill, question? I would love to know, when birds are out in the meadows or in the forest and they're listening to other birds, do they know what the other species are saying? Or is this just a one-to-one with their own species? Um, in many cases, they do know. And I mentioned there's different kinds of vocalizations. And so the song, the one for attracting mates and defining territory, are generally function only within one species, and the other species just ignore it. Um, but some of the other noises, like the warning, especially the warning of predators, um, that's oftentimes... Other, all, all of the birds in the area will recognize a predator warning, and sometimes not even birds. There are cases where, say, a mammal, like a prairie dog, will have a warning call it gives of a predator, and birds will recognize the warning call that this mammal gives. Very smart. We're talking with Josh Rose. Josh is the vice president of the Hampshire Bird Club, and we're doing all things birding today. When we come back, I'd like to talk about threats to birds, uh, climate change, habitat loss, those kinds of things. Uh, so stick with us. Uh, Josh, thanks for being here, and we'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Here comes- 
You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. So I have this friend from school. He told me that he hit his girlfriend during an argument. He said he had a few too many and it was no big deal. He says his dad hits him at home like that makes it okay to hit her. I've seen a mess with her at parties and I, f- I felt really weird about it. I didn't know what to do. Then Nelquit came into our class and talked about being a positive bystander. So I realized there are some ways I can help. I can say, that's not okay, and there's someone you can talk to. I called Nelquit's hotline and found out about counseling near here that's free and confidential. We all get angry sometimes, but there's no excuse for abuse. Nelquit, New England Learning Center for Women in Transition. Offering 24-hour crisis line support, walk-in appointments, counseling, safe plan, legal services, and supportive supervised children's visitation. Please reach out to them. They'll be there. 479 Main Street, Greenfield. Nelquit.org. N-E-L-C-W-I-T.org. Information at 413-772-0871. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And welcome back. This is the segment that we have weekly on Thursday at 10 o'clock called Science and Sensibility with Professor Emeritus Brian Adams from uh, GCC, who always brings us great guests. Today we have the Vice President of the Hampshire Bird Club, uh, Josh Rose, with us, and we're talking birds, Brian. We are talking birds. And uh, during, By the way, I just heard during the break, you told us that Larry Hott's um, film is one that you're quite familiar with. Yeah. Um, for the listeners who were listening in, um, there's a segment played from The Wilderness Idea, which is a remarkable film by our wonderful local filmmaker, Larry Hart. Um, and it's a film I showed, every sem- the only film I showed uh, every semester at GCC. <laughs> so I turned on the radio and I memorized every line of that movie. It was fun to, fun to listen to that. Larry's a big birder. He knows a lot about birds as well, as does our guest, Josh Rose, vice president of the Hampshire Bird Club. Josh, let's talk about threats to birding. One of the most influential books ever written was Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, and I think we're going into the 50th anniversary of that. Is that right? Something like that. Um, and really s- sort of talking about the threats uh, to birds and, and all living things with uh, pesticides and herbicides and chemicals. Uh, what do you see as some of the threats to birds out there right now? Well, I think it's pretty universally agreed that habitat destruction is the biggest threat. Um, Although saying it is a threat kind of uh, oversimplifies because there's a lot of ways that habitat gets destroyed, uh, ranging from the, the most obvious kind of paving things over for buildings and parking lots and roads, 
but also um, you know they get habitat fragmentation. Uh, there's um, you know climate change has causes habitats to change and become unsuitable for certain species. Uh, invasive non-native plants can uh, go into an er- go into an area that they didn't previously grow and and make it unsuitable for bird species that used to live there. Um, so this in, is a- in your birding life, have you seen changes in populations, uh, and how how has that played out? Um, a variety of different ways. Uh, there's been some major declines in certain species, especially. The long-distance migrants, the warblers and vireos and uh, flycatchers and such that winter in Central and South America or the Caribbean and then come up here to breed, um, their numbers have dropped substantially over the past like several decades. Due to um, habitat loss. Yeah. Although, again, like some of it up here, some of it in the tropics. Um, there's also <laughs> pesticides in both places, which we've uh, greatly reduced pesticide use here in the U.S., but... It's much higher in a lot of tropical areas. Um, there's been a lot of kind of success stories, though. And you mentioned Silent Spring, which is related mainly to DDT. And when I was a kid, you know, bald eagles were extremely rare in Massachusetts. Ospreys were, I think, on the federal <coughs> endangered species list as threatened. I think I had to go to Maine to see my first ever bald eagle when I was, you know, around 10 or 12. Um, Nowadays, eagles and ospreys are vastly more common um, than, you know, than they used to be. And I've seen both just flying over my yard in Amherst, even though I'm nowhere near water that both species need for, you know, their, their ecology. So. Yeah, that's so exciting to see the return of the bald eagle and the fact that we can bring species back from the brink of either extirpation, regionally extinct, or extinction, um, which, is, which is really, really exciting. Who's the longest... Uh, migrant that comes here? Who's, who flies the furthest to, to, uh, to get back to Massachusetts? Uh, it would definitely be one of, the, one of the coastal birds. I know the Arctic tern is a very long distance migrating species. Um, we had a, a speaker at the bird club uh, last month or month before last. I no, last month, uh, who specialized in the roseate tern. This is Joan Walsh from Mass Audubon, another long-distance species. And then we also had a speaker on shorebirds who specialized in godwits, a sh- very large sandpiper. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the shorebirds, the sandpipers and such, migrate very, look, almost Arctic to Arctic. I, I or read Arctic once, to Antarctic. I think I read once that hummingbirds here in New England travel sometimes down to Mexico, which mm-hmm. I... Whatever they, yeah, they defi- defies belief that a little bird that is uh, with such high energy needs <laughs> like twenty five hundred <laughs> beats in its wing per minute yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. It's crazy. It, it's so unbelievable that there used to be kind of speculation that the hummingbirds would hitch rides on the backs of like geese or other larger birds to to make it across the ocean. But no, they're doing it on their own. That's there's a good children's book for you, hummingbird, <laughs> hummingbird hitching a ride. What can folks do to help protect birds? Um, I, the biggest thing people can probably do is in taking care of their yards, uh, try to use mostly native plant species. A lot of the bird species that are in the greatest danger are insect eaters. And uh, something that you know, many folks didn't, don't realize or didn't realize till recently is that um, 
these insect native plants support the vast majority of the insects that these birds eat. And if you plant something not native, like say a, a forsythia or um, you know, daffodils or something, very few insects feed on these, which is why we like them. Since they get eaten by less insects, we don't have to do as much work to keep them alive. But that lack of insects then leaves the birds having to work harder to find enough food to feed their young. And we just celebrated, I guess is the right word, uh, no mow May. No mow May. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't yeah. mow in May so that those insects have a chance to, their larvae can... In fact, mm. trying not to mow at all, getting rid of lawns mm. and putting in pollinator-friendly uh, native plants, as, as you were saying. Absolutely. Uh, uh, we're, we're getting out of time. Favorite place to go birding? Um, it's hard to narrow that down. I do most of my birding along Amethyst Brook Conservation Area, mostly just because we live there. In Amherst. Um, yeah, our backyard directly uh, adjoins the conservation area. Uh, when I get away from home and go looking places, I mean, the Quabbin Reservoir has got a lot of fantastic spots, especially uh, along the dam, but also uh, Gate 5 or uh, some, of the, some of the gates uh, further west of there. Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary, not far from here, is just unbelievable. Fitzgerald Lake. There's the Conte National Wildlife Refuge tracked in Hadley along the Fort River. Oh, I love that Fort um, River track. So oh, that trail is just great. beautiful. Lots, so. lots of birds. Mm -hmm. um, the Hampshire Bird Club does a lot of outings. Mm -hmm. uh, can you talk about how people can contact you or them and get involved in birding, even if you know nothing about birds? Yeah, I'd say go to the Hampshire Bird Club has a has a website uh, with a lot of information, including you can join on the club online there. Uh, we have a Facebook page where we advertise a lot of uh, activities. We have a more recent but very popular program, Birding for All, where we're trying to make the birding activity more inclusive and allow people who historically would have had a hard time being part of birding, uh, birding trips, uh, taking trips that everybody can be part of. So, um, yeah, so look us up online. That's the, the easiest way to you know, make contact. Times are, times are tough. It's, it's a, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress out there. And one way that a lot of people can really um, alleviate some of the pressures of modern living is to get out in the meadows, to get out in the woods. You don't have to identify the birds. Just sit and watch and listen and be awed by the beauty of nature. Josh, thank you so much for being with us today. Josh is a vice president of the Hampshire Bird Club. We never talked about dragonflies. <laughs> um, we'll wait to do that uh, on another show. But thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Anytime. And we didn't hear Ryan Adams do his impression of a loon. <laughs> Perfect. We're going to be right back with Take 5 with Ruth Griggs and a one of the most creative and proficient uh, bassists in the world, Avery Sharp. We'll be right back. He rocks in the treetop all the day long. Hopping and a-bopping and a-singing his song. All the little birds on Jaybird Street love to hear the robin go tweet. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera is requesting the City Council increase funding for the Police Department to hire new officers in anticipation of other officers' retirements. We have to fill that shift with overtime, and that's what we've been doing. So we're averaging 431 hours of overtime per month in the NPD right now, which has a huge financial impact because um, that, of course, is a time and a half. 
The mayor is also requesting money to hire a new fire rescue officer. Last year saw 8,352 calls, the most the department has ever seen, and this year they are on track to exceed that. The Northampton City Council meets tonight to vote on the mayor's budget at 7 p.m. East Hampton has two new school committee members. Former school committee members Sarah Hunter and Laura Scott were elected to fill the vacancies for the committee until December 31st, after which they'll decide if they want to run for another term. Those seats became vacant following the resignations of Lori Garcia and Shannon Dunham, sparked by controversy over the superintendent's search. Governor Maura Healy announced $250,000 in grant funding yesterday to be used to support local food systems through the Local Food Policy Council program. Just Roots Farm in Greenfield received over $12,000 to conduct an outreach campaign and, and analysis of capacity building strategies with a 12-month plan seeking to increase membership, specifically amongst marginalized community members. Mostly sunny and hazy today with a light breeze and warm, a high of 88 to 92. Evening temperatures will be in the 70s under mostly clear skies tonight and an overnight low of 54 to 60. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, scattered showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon, a high of 88 to 92. We don't get out of the 60s over the weekend. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5-1400. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. Are you going to be growing tomatoes, growing salad greens, a big garden, or a few pots on the deck? Go to the Atlas Farm Store and get organic starter plants. Get tomatoes, get basil and other herbs. Get cucumbers, kale, eggplant, and melons. It's so easy to grow with organic plants and seeds from the Atlas Farm Store. Add color, too, with flowers and hanging baskets. Plant ahead, plant ahead, and grow all summer with the Atlas Farm Store in South Deerfield. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome to this wonderful segment that we have weekly on Thursdays called the Take 5 segment with our uh, Take 5 segment host, Ruth Griggs, who's got with us today an unbelievable, creative uh, musician who uh, expresses himself in ways that um, anybody who hears him plays 
No, they just heard something special. That's right, Buzz. I am very honored that Avery Sharp uh, is um, not in studio, but on the phone uh, from his home in Plainfield with us this morning. And um, we have so much to talk about with Avery because... um, He's going to be playing at the Northampton Jazz Festival this fall on September 30th with his uh, quartet and with his extended family choir. And we started talking in the in the hall of Edwards Church the other day. And lo and behold, Avery has lots of amazing stories to talk about Max Roach, who we are celebrating at the festival. And I really want to make sure we have time to talk about Avery's upcoming um, commissioned piece June 13th, uh, Juneteenth uh, with Springfield Symphony coming up on Monday, June 19th. And all of those things are so wonderful and I want to talk about them, but I want to spend just 30 seconds because the last time I saw you, Ruth Griggs, was up at the Vermont Jazz Center for an incredible concert, Bill Charlap and his wife, uh, Rini Rosnes. Yeah. That was just a special thing. Right. Well, we, we have much specialness to talk about with Avery Sharp. Sorry for that extended introduction. Welcome, Avery. Wow, thank you. Great to be here. Wonderful. Um, so for those of our listeners um, who don't know you as well as we do, I'd like to take just a few minutes to for you to... Introduce yourself to them. Um, why are you one of our favorite musicians in the Pioneer Valley? And uh, a little bit about your history as a as a bassist and an amazing and and very prolific composer. Well, uh, good Lord, that's a long story. I was uh, born in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, um, and when the when Georgia was legally segregated. And my father was in the service and uh, went to Guam when I was a kid and came back and lived in Savannah for seven years under um, in the South. And then my father was stationed in Plattsburgh, New York. Uh, at the time, he was 39 years old, had fought two wars, World War II in Korea. There were seven of us at the time, and they wanted to send him to Vietnam. And he was like, I'm out. That was in 1965. And he did not want to go back south or go back to Georgia, so we wound up uh, here in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. You know, I went to uh, junior high, uh, junior high and high school, and eventually went to the University of Massachusetts at a great time in the mid-70s when you had great people like Max Roach, uh, who was on the uh, music faculty. You had Archie Shepp, uh, who was at the Afro, was in the Afro-Am department, Reggie Workman, who played with John Coltrane, bass player, was my first bass teacher. Um, Horace Boyer, one of the foremost gospel historians and performers, was at the University of Massachusetts. Uh, Dr. Fred Tillis, who started this jazz program at UMass, was there. And it was just, uh, uh, you know, conversion of great minds and great people. And I just happened to be there at the time. Uh, Max Roach and, in particular, Archie Shepard and Horace Boyer took an interest in me and uh, spent a lot of time with me. And... Um, got me more, especially Max and, and Archie, got me more into getting into the history of, of, of this music, of, of what we call jazz, African-American um, music, um, and also the history with uh, Horace Borey being one of the foremost authorities on gospel music. All those people had a, an incredible influence on me, and uh, to make a long story long, as they say, <laughs> um, let's see, the first person to bring me to a Europe, 
at the end of 1979. And people like McCoy Tyner, uh, Art Blakey started hearing about me, and that kind of really put me on the map. And, uh, you know, I played with McCoy Tyner for over uh, over 20 years, recorded more than 20, 25 records with him at least. And um, and through all that time, you know, I was, um, you know, forming my own groups. I had started my own record label back in uh, 1993 um, before it became fashionable to do it or before uh, we were forced in the industry to do it. I started doing it back in uh, 1993, um, really with the inspiration of the great uh, saxophonist and uh, educator Yusuf Latif. Who was also uh, at UMass? Was he there when you when you were there in the mid seventies, Avery? I didn't. Meet, I didn't meet. I think Yusuf might have been working on his doctorate at the time, but I really didn't meet and record with with Yusuf until the um, until the early nineties, because he's the one who encouraged me to uh, start my own record label. I did about when he started his own record label. I did about oh god, eight or nine recordings with him. You know, backing up a minute, Avery, w- one thing I wanted to just kind of dig into a little bit more is is you said that Max Roach and Archie, Archie Shep took a real interest in you and, and kind of took um, you under their wing uh, and and wanted to really you know, talk more about the history of American jazz. And what was it about you, do you think, that they saw then – when you were a student of economics, I understand <laughs> that yeah. they wanted to that they wanted to take you in. What was it? You know, it, that's kind of a that's kind of a difficult question to answer. And what I mean by that is, um, for instance, I don't know what people see. You know, I see it in other people, but you know, you don't see things in yourself that other people see. You don't be yourself the way other people see you or, or the way that you vibrate or the spirit or the vibe that you give off. For instance, my um, sixth grade teacher, when we first got here to Springfield, uh, John Bodner, Mr. Bodner, he used to come to all my performances when I would be playing in the area. And I was like, I, and he just passed uh, earlier this year. And whenever he could make it, he would make it to my performances. And I was, and the last, one of the last times I saw him, I think it was at the, um, uh, Iron Horse, I think I might have been playing with Sheila Jordan or something. And I said, Mr. Bodner, what, how, how did you remember me? He said, I thought there was something special about you when you were in sixth grade. And, uh, you know, he followed me, you know, through my career. So I'm saying all that to say that I don't know what it is that Max and Archie saw in me. But, I mean, obviously I was, I was on fire in terms of the music. I was just, just trying to absorb the, all I could. And I think there being my professors and being teachers, whenever you have a student who's like, you know, takes an interest that, you know, that prompts you even more as, as a teacher to get, to get more involved. And I was so taken by the music that I, I guess they could, they could see that I was just, I was gone. I was totally into the music, totally in, totally into the history that they gave me about the music, you know, coming straight from the horse's mouth, you know, not the people that they had played with it. You know, I mean, Max Roach, one of the fathers of bebop music. I mean, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis. I mean, he helped create the music. 
Yeah. And and I, I just want to do a quick segue here because we're going to be going into a break in a minute. Um, so, Avery, um, as you know, the Northampton Jazz Festival is, is uh, screening um, a brand new film uh, by Sam Pollard, who's a multi-award winning director and producer here at Northampton Center for the Arts. It's called Max Roach, The Drum Also Waltzes. And we're, we're uh, screening that on June 15th at 7 p.m. And um, I'm really hoping that you will be able to be there, Avery, because your, your knowledge and your, your deep experience with, with Max Roach is, uh, is remarkable to me. And uh, I, I, I'm sure and I know that that film is going to convey some of what you've just been re- referencing, which is the importance of the history of the music as well as the, the, the civil rights um, activism that was, that was a really important part of Max Roach's life as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, we will return with our conversation with Avery Sharp, who is um, going to be talking a lot more about his upcoming music and his, his uh, relationships with jazz musicians. Thank you. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Are you tired of living with chronic pain, knee pain, joint pain? Listen carefully, because now there are new regenerative treatments now available here. QC Kinetics, the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, is now open, giving lasting relief to people with joint pain with no surgery, no drugs, and no downtime. Regenerative medicine uses highly concentrated healing agents from your own body. These powerful treatments can restore and repair damaged tissue in your achy joints so you can move again without pain. QC Kinetics has over 100 clinics nationwide wide and has treated thousands of patients with incredible success. Their advanced protocols are an exciting way to manage pain from arthritis and injury without surgery or steroids or pain pills. If you've got pain in your knees, shoulders, hip, or back, you need to check out these new treatments. They can actually help your body restore and repair itself. Call now to schedule your free consultation with the local medical professionals at QC Kinetics. Call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. 
WHMP. And we are back with our Take 5 segment with Ruth Griggs and a very special guest, Avery Sharp. Yes, and the um, the music that we just played um, is from Avery Sharp's uh, 2019 album called 400, and that song was called Arrival. And it also, it not only featured Avery and his musicians, um, but it also featured the extended family choir. And um, Avery, as a NWACP um, award winner, I know that um, this this type of expression of the importance of understanding the history of slavery in the United States is extremely important to you as you share it um, with 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 your audiences. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, your your award as well as your uh, compositions in that realm? Well. Um as I had mentioned before about Max Roach and, and, and Archie Shuff, because, you know, Archie was considered very revolutionary back in the 1960s and identified with the, uh, the black movement um, back in, you know, back in the 1960s as well as Max. So they influenced me in terms of being an artist and trying to uh, not only just play music, but also to express an idea. And when people say that, you know, you're just an artist, you're not political, that's that's a bunch of nonsense because everybody's political in this country. If you do nothing, that makes you political because you're just watching what happens. So everything, everything is political. So I've always, if you look back at my work, it's always been um, standing on the shoulders of of heroes and, you know, sheroes of, of African-American uh, descent. And, you know, so the Project 400 came about um, when I saw a doctor, Shirley Whitaker. I ran into her, quick story, I ran into her at Whole Foods, I think it was like in 2017 or 2016. And she said, uh, uh, 2019, 2020 coming. And I stopped. And, it, you know, if you're an educator or, you know, into history, you would know that 2019 was going to be the 400 um anniversary of Africans being brought to the shores of the U.S. shores. And um, she just looks at me and she goes, you're not listening to me anymore. I said, no, I'm hearing all this music. I'm hearing all these ideas. Hmm. And so I was trying to condense 400 years into 60 minutes worth of music. And, you know, it's not a it's not a celebration. It's just an acknowledgement of of what has been happening. So I split the uh, album up into like hundred year increments, you know, the 1619 to 1719, that's when we arrived, you know, 1719 to 1819, uh, the colonial period, then the antebellum period, and then, you know, the, the uh, 20th century and up, up until today. And I call it a portrait because, you know, uh, being an artist is very, you know, it's, it's selective. So I, you know, chose the, the particular points of history that I wanted to, um, embellish on and uh that that tune arrival of course acknowledges the arrival of of africans to, to the shore so i'm i'm always concerned about you know entertaining people but also making them think uh, i did a play uh, several years ago with the uh actress jasmine guy who was one of, on one of the uh, bill cosby spinoffs a different world and it was a play but it was, you know, based on the Harlem Renaissance. It was called um, Raising Cain, 
And uh, the Amsterdam News, you know, the Harlem newspaper, called it edutainment. That was the first time I'd heard that that expression. Uh, that was several number of years back. So I'm always trying to, you know, perform as an artist and get you know my message out there in terms of just my art, but also to you know to make people think. You know, to make you know when you come out of my concert, you should be inspired, but you should also think. Well, I think um, I do think that the piece arrival um, from your um, album Four Hundred is is absolutely it is inspiring and awesome. Uh, I I am a, a choral singer, a jazz choral singer, but was a classical choral singer for many years. So hearing the extended family choir, which I know is is has uh, been an important part of your your albums in the past several years, um, that to me that hearing the human voice is is such an inspiring sound. It's such an inspiring musical sound. And I just want to give a plug that if you want to hear the latest premiere of Avery Sharp's uh, composition celebrating Juneteenth, uh, it's it, the concert at Springfield Symphony is going to be called Se- Juneteenth Celebrating Freedom, and Avery will be uh, revealing the symphony will be playing um, his latest piece. I don't know is is your piece called Juneteenth that they commissioned you to write for this concert, Avery? No, here's what's happening. I will not be playing Arrival on on the. Uh, I will only be doing one tune from the 400 album which is uh, called Antebellum, which is an a cappella piece. Uh, but the rest of the music will be uh, more, really more gospel, sort of gospel jazz. I'll be doing arrangements uh, of, say, um, Wade in the Water, which is from my uh, extended family two recording thoughts of my ancestors. I'll be doing um, an arrangement of this train with my quartet and the Springfield Symphony, as well as the combined extended family choir combined with the Springfield Symphony Chorus. Um, so I will be doing arrangements of tunes that I've done, like quote-unquote Negro spirituals that I've done in a, in a more modern, um, you know, more more of a modern approach. Got it. So it, okay. it, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be something to see, you know, it's going to be, good Lord, probably about uh, 90 people on stage maybe. With oh, gracious. Choir. And yeah. and that concert will be on Monday, June nineteenth at three p.m. Um, and if you're interested, and it's free to all, so all you need. And I've already done this. All you need to do is to go to springfieldsymphony.org and just reserve your your tickets. But they are it is free to all. And I I really I, I encourage us all to go to this for as as Avery is saying for edutainment. Um, uh, Avery, I want to I want to go back just for a, a moment, if we could, before we have to wrap up, um, to talk a little bit more about um, the Max Roach film that we will be um, that we will be screening at Northampton Center for the Arts on June fifteenth. Uh, as as you know, um, Sam Pollard will be there, who is the director coming up from Baltimore. Um, uh, Tom Rini will also be there to take a Q and A um, after. Of the f- film screening at 7 p.m. Uh, and Avery, if you are there, we would certainly love to have you join in that um, discussion after the film. Um, but any any other um, insights as to um, why this film is so important for us to to see 
Max Roach, the drum also waltzes here on June 15th in your experience? Well, Max was one of those forces that comes along, you know, one of those few people that comes along in a, in a, in a you know, 20th century. I mean, he was, he thought so far outside of the box that it's amazing. His mind was, um, in terms of creativity, was, was just incredible. And I, I tell the story about, um, you know, when Max passed, you know, I went to his funeral. You know, funerals, you know, are not great, you know, because, you know, somebody's passed. But it was one of the most inspiring funerals I'd ever been in because they showed all the work that Max had done. And it was it was just inspiring just as an artist. You know, I was like, why am I sitting here? I need to go go create. I mean, he just, he did so many different things, you know, I mean, just a master on the drum, but just a master at, um, at, at creativity and, and putting programs together, you know, putting his percussion ensemble together. He had, he, he's the one that started the choir uh, at, at UMass. I mean, just all the things that he did, you know, his, his recording back in 1960, We Insist, which was banned in... Um, in South Africa because of, you know, it was, it was a protest. Uh, wow. Wonderful. But, uh, I mean, Max was just, it was one of a kind. I mean, just had a, it changed my life. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if, if I hadn't come across Max and Archie and, uh, and all the people that were at, at the university of Massachusetts at the time that I was there. Well, as we've said several times on this show, um, because we have a lot of UMass Amherst, um, you know, alum that are musicians, et cetera, here, and and what would this valley be without UMass Amherst? I tell you, um, the right just for, just in terms of jazz music alone, let alone everything else, um, it is it is such an incredible gift. Um, I just want to, um, in closing, I just want to thank again. Um, Avery Sharp for being our guest today. AverySharp.com if you want to, to see more and read more about Avery. Um, it, we, we definitely need to have you at the Springfield Symphony concert on June 19th at 3 p.m. where he will be uh, performing. And we're going to uh, close out um, today's segment with another piece featuring the extended family choir. Thank you, Avery Sharp. Thank you. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. What, what I'm trying to communicate is that there are many, many layers of, of safety management in place at every source to ensure that we reduce as much risk as, as possible. Does the Bliss Street Station intentionally vent gas regularly? Because I can tell you that it vents gas. Pretty much every time I've gone to that area, I have smelled gas. 1015-1400 ER The Valley. We are WHMP. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls, whmp.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's